Today's scripture reading is on Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. S'il refuse de les écouter, dis-le à l'église. Et s'il refuse aussi d'écouter l'église, qu'il soit pour toi comme un païen et un publicain. Je vous le dis en vérité, tout ce que vous lirez sur la terre sera lié dans le ciel et tout ce que vous délirez sur la terre sera délié dans le ciel. Good morning, uh, my name is Stephen, one of the pastors of S City Church. Welcome to one of our services on Sunday. Uh, today, we're going to continue the series that we've been doing called Kingdom Values. Uh, last week, we talked about kingdom and children, and today we want to apply that to the church. And so far, we've seen that humility is the value that's practiced in the kingdom. And I don't know if you ever thought of it that way, that Jesus is teaching the disciples about humility as a principle that is happening in heaven. And he came down to earth to show us what it's like if we actually start practicing it here on earth, particularly in the church. We saw last Sunday that humility is like a child that depends on God. But when God's people do not show humility and have their own way instead, then of course this is what we see. Relationships are broken, churches become weak, and the witness of Jesus becomes a joke to the watching world. And we've experienced that way too much. Because humility is such a value in the kingdom and is a way of life in the kingdom, Jesus came to earth to show people like us, sinful people, how we can get a taste of this ethos that is happening, you know? Did you ever wonder how we will behave in the kingdom of God? You know, the Bible teaches that there is no sin. What does that look like, actually? What does that feel like? Will we automatically become holy and perfect? and do nothing, you know? Since Jesus rules the kingdom and the universe, uh, He shows us how, actually, how it works in heaven. And He shows us that it can happen here on earth. And, uh, and in fact, this humility is not just a value or a, or a virtue, but it is God's gift, particularly to the church. So Jesus shows that the church has an opportunity to live out this kingdom value here on earth, but it must be received and driven with humility. So get this. Again, like I said, only the church has this privilege of tasting what, what heaven is experiencing right now. How? By fulfilling the new command of loving one another, as we saw in John 13, as we experience this kingdom value on earth. So speaking to the church, Jesus says this, 
I give you authority to make this happen, he says. And in our reading, verses 18 to 20, let me read this again. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So Jesus has given the church an incredible privilege to experience heaven on earth. Jesus has given us the power to the church to be the gateway of heaven or hell. Effectively, whatever the verdict of the church is for the believer, it is applied in heaven. This is what Jesus gives to the church. And he has also given this authority uh, uh, over the lives of believers too, particularly if they are in a state of disobedience or in sin. So the idea is that the, the power that is wielded with humility and with much prayer, we see in verse 19, and with a Christ-centered gospel community in verse 20, if the church does this well, then everything will, then the church will experience what, what, what peace and what heaven is like here on earth. So, let's see how Jesus intends for the church to experience this heaven on earth when the people of God live in unity and in love, even and especially when there are issues in the church, which is, which is so abundant. So, what typically happens is that there's drama that happens in the church. And when a drama happens, there usually are two parties. One who received the offense, the other who made the offense, all right? And so when this happens, the initial burden is on the party who received the offense. In other words, those who are sinned against. But in order for this procedure to work the way it should, there are few key assumptions that must be true about the, uh, about the first party, all right? And the first thing is this. The, first, the person who has been offended, you have to know the gospel. You have to understand the gospel. You have to be committed to living out the gospel. Another thing is that you also have to be committed not only to the gospel, but committed to do the hard things. And what is the hard thing? To confront the one who made the offense against you or sinned against you. And guess what? You have to be committed to have that talk. And the next thing that you have to do is that you have to be uh, driven by humility in order for this process to work. Now, if you have these things, then this is how you experience heaven in the church whenever drama or situations happen. And, and Jesus teaches us there's three things that are involved. Number one, uh, he says, Jesus says, keep the matter private. Well, so when there's an issue, what you do is you go alone and you seek to restore the person. The second thing Jesus says is that when that, uh, and that should do the job, but if it doesn't, then the second thing is to ask help from others. So you take one or two people along and you confront the person again. For what? For the goal of restoration. And if that person gets restored, great. If not, then there's the third uh, stage. And the third stage is then you now ask the church for help. In other words, you tell it to the church, then he, at this point it becomes public. Then the leaders would know, that is the elders and the pastors and other people in the church would know. And if uh, the person does not listen 
uh, Jesus says, then the procedure is that you treat this person as an unbeliever. But if the person is humbled and comes back, then there is restoration. Now that's the procedure that Jesus gives us. And if the church, uh, we call that discipline, but if the church exercises it well, then, then we will experience what the kingdom of God experiences, which is restoration, which is fellowship and true love with one another. You know, note what is happening. Because Jesus is the designer of this process. Note what, is, what Jesus is saying. Each step, uh, step in this process is predicated in love. And the goal of all of this step is to restore a person who went backwards to bring them back to God and to have fellowship with one another in the community. And another thing that you need to see is that the lower you go down in these steps, uh, the greater the exposure of sin will be. So each step is not to humiliate a person, but uh, each step is there to restore a person back to God. And the last resort in discipline process is excommunication, because it, through all these steps, if the person doesn't come back, then you have to uh, cut them out in the first place, and in, in, the, in the end. But even at this point is the hope that they will come back. And so what I want you to see is what drives this process is restoration and love. And that requires a great deal of humility. You know, just like an algebra algorithm, if there's humility at each step, then there is a choice. A person, the person that you've confronted who's in sin, has the opportunity to choose restoration and repentance. And that is uh, uh, what the choice is all about at each step. And this is where real love and true fellowship is experienced if they choose restoration. And that's an amazing thing. And this process is so beautiful when it works. You know why? Because it's designed by Jesus. And He got it straight from the kingdom of heaven and to give to us for us to experience here on earth, particularly in the church. So, this, so the church of Jesus Christ, we have the playbook. And if the church implements all the time uh, in this world, then, then, then the world will know that we belong to Jesus. And the church will be an incredibly attractive place to experience a little better heaven on earth because people actually love one another. But you know, there's something strange that happens. When there is an issue in the church, for some reason, this procedure does not work at times. Not because it is a flawed system, but there's a key factor that is usually missing, and that is humility. Listen to this. When humility does not drive this process, then love and restoration is no longer the goal. Instead, being right becomes the goal. I want you to consider these two examples. Number one, say that you have problems with leadership in the church. Okay, uh, say you have problems with me, just to make it very simple, all right? The, uh, the step says the onus or the burden is on you. Uh, because you are a believer. You're committed to the values of the kingdom. Remember, you're committed to the gospel and you're committed to the holiness of God. So, so you being the offended party, 
uh, of what I did to you or didn't do to you, you have to go through the procedure. Step one says what? Do you remember? It says keep the matter private. Go alone and seek restoration. So if you are a burden believer and you thought that I did something uh, against you, then, then you need to come to me. You have access. And you tell me, Pastor, you've done this and I was hurt by you. And if I have a humble heart and I hear you, and I say, I'm sorry, and we reconcile, and it's done. And, uh, and we, go, we go on, and we seek reconciliation, and there's love, and it's great. But instead, what usually happens is that you don't talk to me at all. Rather, you go alone, or think about it, or, or maybe you share your grievances with another person, maybe your spouse, or a friend at a community group, or someone you just talk during coffee hour, whenever we get around to that time, right? And then there's a venting session, and inadvertently you are seeking validation uh, as you complain to others because, after all, you might be right because um, you disagree with me. This may go for a time, but if the issue persists and you can't get over it, then you move to step two. Remember what step two is. You ask for help from others. So what you do is you, if your friend is not enough to help you with your grievance and it's not out of your system, then the kingdom policy says you take one or two other people and you confront the one who has caused offense. So you set up a meeting with me. And this time I get nervous. <laughs> like, why do you want to meet with me? And then you have the talk with me and you get it off your chest with other people. And I say, okay, I got it. I receive it. And guess what? It's done. It's that simple. And I hope it's that simple, but instead what usually happens is that, that there is a, now a growing number of people whom you have conferred. And, and, and it starts to spread discontent within the church. And unfortunately, that's what usually happens. And now at this time, this is when things began to fall apart. Now the flames, in a sense, are being stoked and it has the potential of causing a huge wildfire in the church. And when you confer with lots of people about these complaints, and you, then what happens is you have proven to yourself and proven to yourself that the complaints that you have has been validated around those uh, that you've been telling and you feel that you're absolutely in the right. And whatever the grievance is, I am proven that I'm wrong and that you're in the right, then what happens? Then step three naturally says, you ask the church for help. So therefore, the charges have to now come against me and are taken to the elders or leaders or denominational leaders or whoever the authority is, and they have to now show me that I have sinned. And they get me to a point, and if I receive it in humility, then actually it's saved and it's fine. But instead what happens is that this is where now the bylaws are opened up and they're studied and analyzed more than the Bible. And you know when that happens, then you know there's trouble. And what happens is you find clauses where you can officially bring up issues and grievances against the pastor and use it to the fullest extent. And let me just say it, as I'm saying this facetiously, that this is an important process. And in the membership class, in our bylaws, we have all that. And I will show you how to do this because this is an important part in the check and balances. So let me just say that up front. But what happens is, as a result of that, 
you know, petitions are drawn up, and in some cases, lawyers are consulted, and congregation meeting is demanded, and the pastor is on trial. And what happens is, by this time, the whole church is involved, and all the believers who found concerns about the pastor is now elevated to a full-blown controversy. And rather than restoration and forgiveness and love, which should happen, what happens is, what usually happens at this point is that now unbelievers get the whiff of this who are in the church. They get disappointed and, and they experience firsthand that these Christians are a bunch of hypocrites and they really don't love one another. And, and some may actually enjoy the tar and feathering of pastors up front, you know. And, and others, they just leave the church, maybe even leave the faith altogether. You know, but the worst part about this kind of thing is that young people who are seeing this, they get scarred and they can conclude that Christianity is all a joke and this Jesus stuff does not work so that they have no interest in church or Jesus or faith after high school and stuff. So as a result, someone has to leave. Either the vote is taken to dismiss the pastor or there's a split among those who support the pastor versus anti-pastor. And regardless of what it uh, happens, the fact is the church is now fractured. You know, the worst thing about this whole process is that both parties, whether one side or the other, they, they, they all see each other as the unbeliever. And they all take uh, uh, the last part of the discipline process and they all, in a sense, excommunicate each other and they don't associate with each other at all. Therefore, friends are separated. Fellowships that you once enjoyed are now forbidden. Everyone is hurting, but everyone feels justified because each group is right. And why is that? Why does this happen? Because humility is conspicuously absent. Here's another example. This time, the offender is the pastor. And in this example, uh, the pastor does not exercise humility, who refuse to submit and humble themselves before God and others. So the pastor is doing stuff that is unbecoming. So step one, what do you do? Because uh, you're a Christian, you keep the matter private. You go alone, go alone and seek restoration, because that's what Jesus says. Again, the burden is on you because you're a Christian. And, uh, you're, and, and so you're uh, a follower of Christ, you're a, maybe a leader in the church, and you love the church, you love the pastor, so you want to make this right. So you see the sin, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes blatant, and you got to do something about it. The burden is on you because you are the offended. So you confront the pastor and you lay out the most, in the most loving terms, using humility that you have to share the sin that you see in his life. But if the pastor uses the same value of humility, then, then the pastor is restored. He does not feel judged in this confrontation. And there's repentance and is grateful and the relationship is even better than before. And the respect he has for you is at a record high. And this is how it should be. But what happens is unfortunately is this, that the pastor is not humbled and appreciate you calling out a sin but usually he gets offended. And I say this because I've seen pastors who were confronted with sin 
and, and it did not go well. I've been in denomination where pastors meet together and at times there were issues that were brought up by the congregation against certain ministers. And I've seen firsthand how defenses they got and how stubborn they became uh, to the accusation that was before them. And if the issues were, you know, from the misuse of church funds, for, for instance, or adultery or sexual misconduct or harassment, then there really is nothing to challenge because there's the evidence and they're forced to repent and usually that gets resolved. But in the past decade, what I've seen was that there's a subtle form of sin that's really hard to expose and that is pride. And this pride and insubordination, is just, it just comes up and you can't really pinpoint or really bring evidence to that. Uh, but what you see is that there is no humility so when, when confronted personally, these pastors get even more irate. So basically nothing gets done. So what do you do? You take it into your heart and you move into step two. Step two, remember, says, Jesus says, then you ask help from others. So time goes by and you and other people that you elicit, more elders perhaps or leaders or, or, or other people, you, you get together and you see that in the board meetings and, and the relationship that you have behind the pulpit, it gets strained. So as a team, you're really concerned about this dynamic and the leadership. And so uh, you have to do something now. So you set up a meeting with the pastor again, with others who are just as equally concerned, and you dress it to, with the pastor again. And what happens is, again, I hope that uh, the pastor does receive humility and it gets resolved, but usually what happens is the result doesn't go well, and whatever your relationship strain that you have had in step one now deteriorates even more, and there is more tension, and you can't get through the pastor, and there's a stalemate. So what happens? Step three is the natural next step, and as the matters get even more tense, now you have to go to the church. And at this point, it becomes public. Not because you're out to get the pastor, but in each step of this uh, uh, discipline, reconciliation in this kingdom policy, there is no repentance from the pastor. And when the issue was, when it was in-house, but now it has to go public. And at this point, the whole church is involved. In other words, the denomination perhaps get in. Maybe, maybe gets tweeted out in social media. Maybe articles are written about you. And now the, uh, all the dirty laundry comes outside the church, outside the board meeting, and it's exposed everywhere. And this is how we know about all these uh, people who are larger than life, these pastors who who uh, led mega ministries, who have been forced to deal with their sins publicly in this sense of pride. You know, we find out that that's how we know that um, some of these fastest growing churches in the world in, in the early 2000s with multi-campuses spawning missions and church plant organizations, how they just imploded so fast. This is how you hear about pastors who have had moral failings in the past, with all these moral feelings, and it puts a church in a very difficult situation. The consequences of an unrepentant party is rarely reparable, because it is not that simple to restore and to restore trust and respect once it's lost from a spiritual leader. 
you know, usually what happens is that, that, it, that, it, that it takes years to build up a ministry and a following, doesn't it? But it can get destroyed in one fell swoop. Just like a bowling ball, this, the mega churches, the multiple locations, all the things we've done and what you've done is just gets closed. The movements, the books, the teaching, they're all wiped out in one fell swoop. Why does this happen? All because there was no exercise in humility. So Jesus has taken, has, pardon me, Jesus has given the church a policy to work out, to show that the church in the world, that the kingdom is different. And citizens in the kingdom, they can live with humility because this is a prized ethos valued by the king himself, that is Jesus. He came into our world so he can show us how we can live it with one another. And Jesus, friends, have shown this to us. So church, we don't have to go down this rabbit trail of... of um, non-restoration of moral failings. The, the people of God who love Jesus, the people of God who really wants things to be restored, for sins to be dealt with, if we have a sense of humility, humility, it can be done because the King has shown us how to do that. And Jesus Christ has done it in, in perfect form. That's why we reread in Ephesians. And being found in heaven form, he, that is Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Listen to what, what Paul says, St. Paul says. Jesus humbled himself. Even though he was berated, even though he was judged by everyone else, instead of being offended and defending himself, Jesus humbled himself. He received it. He didn't fight back, but what did he die? He became obedient even to the death on a cross. When you do, listen to what uh, verse 9 says. When the church, when the pastors, leaders, when people of God uh, take humility when sin, uh, sin is uh, uh, revealed to them, this is what happens not only to you, but listen to what happens to what, what God did to Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed him on the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when Jesus received uh, the humility, and he, he didn't fight back, but he died, what, what happens is that God the Father honors him. And that is the same pattern that God uh, has for the church. When you and I, in humility, receive correction, receive restoration by people who love us, then what happens is you don't get humiliated, you get humbled. But through humility, Jesus arises you, uh, you from the dead in a way. And, and God the Father honors you. And if the church of Jesus Christ can take what was given to us by Jesus himself. This is a policy that is worked out in the kingdom of God all the time. And if the, king, if the church of Jesus Christ takes that same policy and works it out, God will exalt his church. God will exalt you. And all the sinners who have been sinning, when they come back and restored, 
the world would know that this is God's church because God will raise us up and He would exalt us. So I do hope and pray, church, that this discipline process, it does work and it can work and it's a beautiful process if you and I receive that with humility. So I do pray that uh, we may have to use this one day and if we do, I do pray that you receive it with humbleness of heart because God wants nothing but to raise us up. So let's receive that church today and let's keep it to heart. Amen.